Yo, today's QOD is I'm accumulating skills. I'm not accumulating money. Here we go. Welcome back to the Quote of the Day show. I'm your host, Sean Croxon of SeanCroxon.com. We got a brand new speaker on the show today. His name is Robert Greene. I'm sure you've heard of Robert Greene. He's written some amazing books, The Art of Seduction, The 50th Law, Mastery, 48 Laws of Power. And today, he's going to tell the story of Charles Darwin. And honestly, it's not like the most exciting talk in the world, but there's so much great stuff in it. And I say that because there are so many of us who are looking for our purpose. Like sometimes people just find out what their purpose and their passion is very early in life, but most people do not. And he's going to talk about how you can find your purpose through experience, through experimenting, through trying different things. Also, it wasn't that long ago when, you know, you wanted to get into the job force, you actually did an apprenticeship. You learned a skill under somebody else. You, t- you went under their tutelage and they taught you what you needed to know in order to be highly skilled at that thing. We don't really do a whole lot of that anymore, but I think we need to get back to it. So he's going to talk about your apprenticeship and how when you do your apprenticeship, you accumulate skills. And it's not about how much money you're going to make. It's about becoming really excellent at what you do. Because when you're really excellent at what you do, the market will pay you very, very well for your excellent skills. Robert Greene, he's coming up. Now, there's a a, a quote, um, uh, this French philosopher, Baron de Montesquieu, a political philosopher from the 18th century that I kind of like, and it goes as follows. We have three educations in our life. The first is from our parents, the second is from our schoolmasters, and the third is from the world. And the third education contradicts all that we learn from the first two. And basically, what it means is you go and you learn all of these skills and all these very important things in university, but essentially, the years that follow, what I'm going to call your apprenticeship, requires a different way of thinking the, the rules are completely different. It's not the same. In fact, many of the things that you learn and many of the habits that you learn early in your life are actually the wrong kinds of things that, you, that are going to help you, that you need in this path towards mastery that I'm drawing. So I call this period your apprenticeship, and it essentially equals your 20s, although it can be a little less or a little bit more. It's roughly 10 years, as I said, give or take a couple of years. And to me... The most iconic apprenticeship in the the history, uh, the one that I write about in the book, is that of of Charles Darwin. So I wanted to talk a little bit about Darwin himself. I'm sorry he went to Cambridge, which isn't cool around here, but still, it's it's a great story. Um, Now, the thing you don't probably know about Darwin is that he was a bad student. He did not like school. He didn't like learning by rote. He hated memorizing things. What he loved was going out in the outdoors 
and hunting and collecting flower specimens and rock specimens and animals and things like that. And he tells the anecdote in his autobiography that I think people in his family, and they made him wonder that maybe young Charles was a little bit, you know, crazy. And it was, he was out one day collecting beetles and he tore off the bark of a tree and he saw two amazing beetles that he had never seen before. And he grabbed one with one hand and grabbed one with the other hand. And then he looked and he saw there was a third beetle, one that he had never seen before, but he had no place to put it. So he popped one of the beetles in his mouth and grabbed the other one. And as he popped it into his mouth, it gave off the most noxious, disgusting, acrid thing. And, and he, he had to spit it out and he lost all of the beetles. Um, but that's how much he loved things like collecting that he would literally, I mean, who else would do that? Like think of putting a beetle in their mouth. And I imagine his family, when they heard stories like that, that they, they wondered about the son. And his father uh, was a very successful doctor who after, by the time Charles was 15, he was really seriously concerned. In fact, he yelled at him and said, all you care about is hunting and riding horses, and you're gonna be a disgrace to our family. Um, and so the fathers decided that he would get young Charles to follow in his footsteps and become a doctor. So he sent him to the University of Edinburgh, and it ended up that Charles couldn't stand the sight of blood, so he had to leave medical school. And so the father decided to get him a job as a church uh, vicar. And if, as, a, as a member of the church, he could do all that collecting and be kind of eccentric, and that would be fine. But in order to get that church position, he had to go to a great school. So they sent him to Cambridge. Now, he hated Cambridge, not because it's Cambridge, but because he just didn't like school. And he was getting barely passing grades. The only subject that he did even remotely well in was botany because he liked to collect plant specimens and he got along fairly well with the professor. He did his four years at Cambridge and he, as I said, he barely passed. So that summer that he graduated, he went on a tour of, of England doing his hunting and collecting. And when he came back, there was a letter from his professor of botany offering him this position to be an unpaid naturalist on a boat that was sailing around the world. Now, Charles had never thought of doing something like that. It wasn't a career he was thinking of. In fact, he was, his father had found him a very important position within the church. And when he showed the letter to his father, his father was dead set against him doing it. You, you, this is going to take several years of your life. I, I worked so hard to get you this position. You, you can't do it. And Charles basically agreed. But then as he thought about it, he thought, I don't know. I can't. There's something inside of me that is calling me to taking this voyage. I don't know why. Um, it, I'm not, it's an unpaid position. It's a risk. But I, I, I've got to do it. So he went against the wishes of his father and he took the job. It's, the, the ship is called the HMS Beagle, you might have heard. And basically, he leaves England. And from the moment he leaves England, he feels like he made a horrible mistake. First of all, he's never been on a ship before. So he's throwing up every day, left, right, and center. He has no sea legs. Second of all, um, the crew... He's never been among people like this. He's always grown up in a kind of a upper class environment with students at Cambridge. These are all, you know, hardcore proletariat sailors who are cussing and drinking and have their own style. And he, it's, it's shocking and he feels out of place and he misses his family and he's so depressed. And on top of it, 
the captain of this ship is this sort of insane man named Robert Fitzroy, who's like a, a, a Bible freak, who believes that everything in the Bible is literally true, and young Charles is going to go discover evidence of the flood in South America and things like that. It's a little bit crazy. <laughs> so on top, so he's feeling like he's working for this madman. He's among all these sailors. He's missing his family. He's throwing up. What the hell did he do? But then he realizes there's nothing else. He can't get out of it. He signed a contract, and they left harbor. And also, he, he wants to try and fit in. So he de decides on the strategy. He's going to act like these sailors and this environment is just like nature. He's going to sit back and he's going to observe them as if they were plant and insect specimens. And he's going to try his hardest to learn the rules of what it's like to be a sailor, which basically means to do your job and don't complain and don't whinge and work harder than anyone else. And he's going to learn how to get along with a captain and feed his ego and talk about the Bible and do all these other things and just manage to fit in and, and be part of the group. So this strategy actually works, and several months later, they arrive in South America. And as he gets off and he walks for his first day in South America, he sees the most insane thing he's ever seen in his life, a group of marching ants, um, like this, the width of this room, and going back hundreds of yards, and they're moving towards him, and they're devouring every living thing in its path, including these small animals. Um, and, you know, they, they don't have things like that in England. So he's, he's incredibly excited by what he's seeing in, in South America. But now he's starting to, to panic in another way. He realizes that none of his skills are suited for South America. He, he's learned these sort of how to collect the kinds of specimens and things that you have in England. But the variety of life here is so much more intense that he has to almost basically start over. He has to learn how to identify birds by their sound of their song, by the color of their eggs, by how they take flight and the sound that that makes, on and on and on. And there are hundreds of different bird species, and the same for all the insects and the plants. And to capture some of these animals required skills that he never had before. So instead of complaining or, or freaking out, he decides that he's slowly going to transform himself into the best collector. And the thing he realizes is that this was what he was meant to do. This was his life's task because it's not like school. It's not like memorizing things. This is the real world, and it's really exciting. And the better he gets at it, the more fun it is. So slowly, Charles Darwin transforms himself from this sort of impatient young man who hates schooling into this incredibly diligent worker. And as the trip progresses, he starts to amass evidence of something weird going on on this planet. He sees bones in, in, in a hillside uh, that he manages to excavate, and they're of uh, animals that are thousands, perhaps hundreds of thousands of years old, obviously older than anything in the Bible. And so that starts him to question. He's trekking through these mountains. And the other thing about it is he becomes this incredible adventurer, trekking through all parts of South America and living with gauchos. And he has, like, no fear. He's trekking through the mountains of Peru, and he sees all of these marine plants. And he realizes that this high mountain in Peru used to be underwater. How could that have been? That, that also must have taken hundreds of thousands of years. Finally, at the end of this trip, he arrives at the Galapagos Islands, the story that we all know. And in two weeks, he sees this 
unbelievable variety of life that so clearly tells a story that fits in with the other things that he had been discovering, the theory that essentially is evolution and later natural selection. It all comes to him at that point, at the age of essentially 26 years old. He returns home, and the first thing that happens when his father sees him is he, he goes, my God, your head looks larger. You're not the son that left here. You, you look completely different. You look serious. It's not, it's not Charles Darwin who left here five years ago. He never ends up leaving England for the rest of his life. He spends the, the next 30 years in, in his country house essentially amassing evidence to prove the theory that he got when he was 26 on the island of Galapagos. Now, the reason I call this an iconic apprenticeship is the following. The goal of your apprenticeship is not to make money. It's not to get fame or to get attention or to get some cushy position with a nice title. The goal of your apprenticeship is to literally transform yourself. You enter the apprenticeship as someone who's essentially naive. There's no knock on it. We all do. You're essentially someone who doesn't have the skills that are necessary. You're probably someone who's a little bit impatient. Most young people are. And essentially, you are going to transform all of those qualities into someone who's skilled, who's realistic, who understands the political nature of people, who learns the rules that govern this, this field. And you're going to develop patience and a solid work ethic. I call it reality. This is reality. The reality is in your field, for hundreds of years, people have been devising ways of success, procedures. These are the practices that have been passed through tradition. If you want, medicine would be an easy example, but it pertains to any field. That amount of rules and procedures represents reality, and you don't have any connection to it when you first enter the field. Your goal is to literally submit in the deepest sense of the word, you submit to this reality, you recognize that you're starting over, and you're going to immerse yourself in it so that eventually you're going to be the one who is actually going to rewrite those rules like all masters do. You're going to calm down yourself down, you're going to stanch this natural impatience, this desire for fame and money, you're going to transform yourself into the consummate observer of the rules, and then you're going to be the one that's going to change those rules for good. I say that there are, these are the kinds of, of skills that you want. First of all, you don't want to choose that opening field, the first one that you go into, because of money or whatever. You want to choose a place where you have the maximum opportunities to learn. And that's what Darwin did. He could have had this cushy job going into the church, and he could have spent the rest of his life collecting specimens in England, and we would have never heard of him. Instead, he opted for the risky job in which it ended up he was exposed to such a wide variety of life that he was able to create, I maintain, the greatest discovery in the history of science, which is evolution. The other thing is you want to attack this apprenticeship with a completely open mind. You realize that you don't have the necessary skills and knowledge. So you have no preconceptions and you're open to all experiences and you're going to observe as deeply as possible the people around you. Learn, having the ability to observe people and figure out what they're like and be able to read them, which is, I maintain, a 
critical part of the apprenticeship is a lifelong skill. I call it social intelligence. I devoted an entire chapter to it, and it's a key element because you could be the most knowledgeable person in your field, but if you don't know how to deal with people, forget it. The other thing is you want to accumulate and learn as many skills as possible. So you want to choose a, a position or a place that offers you the ability to learn all of these different skills. And finally, you want to treat this apprenticeship like an adventure. Obviously, you're not going on a five-year voyage around the world in the, in the 1830s, which is a lot different than, than entering the careers that you are. But the sense that your 20s are a time of exploring and experimenting, and it's an adventure. It's not like a job. It's not like I'm rushing to get a job and I'm going to get paid. No, you're exploring. You're figuring out what you want to do. You have this parameter of what, we, of what I call your life's task. It's not this narrow thing. It's a little bit wider than that. And you're going to experiment and, and try four or five different jobs with a sense of this is an exciting experience, and I'm accumulating skills. I'm not accumulating money. That was Robert Green. His website is Power, Seduction, and War. Also pick up any of his books again, The Art of Seduction, The 50th Law, which he wrote with 50 Cent, uh, 48 Laws of Power, Mastery. Uh, I recommend Mastery. If you want to become excellent at what you do and you're looking for the process for becoming excellent, pick up Mastery. Go through it very slowly. You're really going to dig it. All right, that is it for me. I hope you enjoyed this week's talks. Thanks so much for leaving a rating a review, telling your friends about the show, picking up your merch at QODmerch.com. And hopefully I will see you over on the Instagram at Sean Croxton. I will see you next week. Have a great weekend. Peace.